Hello, patrons, and welcome to the May patron special. <laughs> patrons. Richard is pretending to speak Klingon because we're doing this episode on the Klingons. No, no, that was just me coughing. Oh, okay. Um, so we kinda... I had a hairball. I'm pretending to be a Cation. <laughs> so we kind of wanted to do this one because uh, the Klingons are a problem for me. I, I don't... I mean, you know, okay, so I'm a huge Trekkie, obviously, and there are things about your favorite thing that you're not going to like or appreciate. The Klingons are one of them for me. I, I don't get why people love them. I don't understand um, why people find them interesting. I find them kind of annoying a lot of the time, and I don't really like Klingon episodes. So, And Worf is not one of my favorite characters. Hmm. Uh, and Richard really seems to like and appreciate the Klingons a lot more than me. So I think that this is going to be a reversal of Trek about because I need him to explain to me why the Klingons are so great. Well, I mean, I will say that I'm not – I wouldn't necessarily consider the Klingons to be my favorite part of Star Trek. I frankly – like I wish they would have spent. I wish they would spend more time characterizing Vulcans, for example. Uh, Vulcans, as <laughs> as we've seen them, aren't we? Have, you're laughing. Well, because you know, at this point in uh, uh, our release schedule, we're we're just about ready to finish up the the fourth season of DS Nine. I think we have like you know three or four yeah. podcasts to go. Um, Voyager does a little bit with the Vulcans, yeah. and Enterprise does some things with the Vulcans, which you probably won't like. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Vulcans are not... Other than, I mean, certainly, I, I would say the, 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 the Star Trek films were the most Vulcan-heavy, especially uh, 2, 3, 4 in particular. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's a lot, because there is Spock. We do, you know, Sarek is such a wonderful character they you you know they use him several times in dng to very good effect um and i guess i do appreciate the way that the klingons do change so dramatically they do have a very strong arc throughout the franchise they start off as the villains in in the original series in the movies they are very much about the you know especially six in particular is very much about that alliance changing uh that their that relationship changing, and then you have certainly in the era of TNG this uneasy piece, which is ch- changing again in DS Nine. Um, well, so I think that there's a couple things going on here, though. Is that number one? Of course, you have to remember that Star Trek Six was was able to be created, and that whole story about the Klingon alliance was able to be created because that TNG had been on the, oh, that's true on, yeah. on the air for four years. So, so that was really a creation of the next generation, not of the movie franchise. And maybe we can step back for a second and kind of take a look at the production evolution of the Klingons, because I do find it interesting how they changed. You know, one of the things that, you know, so Gene Kuhn actually invented the Klingons, and he doesn't get enough credit, I think, for really, he, you know, he invented the Federation, he invented the Klingons. Uh, you know, he invented a lot of the things that the, the Prime Directive was a creation of his. So so he gets a lot of credit for things that are really integral to to what people think of when they think about Star Trek. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And unfortunately, he died, yeah. I think, in the 70s. So that's number one. And, and, and when he created them, you know, they used the Klingons a lot more than the Romulans in the original series. You know, the Romulans and the Klingons were kind of your two main antagonists in the original series. And it's kind of funny to to think about this now, but they actually use the Klingons a lot more than the Romulans because the Romulan makeup was too expensive. Really? That kind of tells you where the budget for, for the original series was. The the little ears were even too huh. expensive for them to, to kind of use that alien species on an ongoing basis. 
So the Klingons were a lot easier, you know, because you just kind of they actually made them with, um, you know, kind of like fake uh, beards and shoe polish. I was going to say there's darkened makeup, but yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, they had the same costumes. I think they probably just used the same costumes for the different actors that played them over and over again and let them out or whatever. Yeah. And so the initial conception of the of the Klingons, you know, because I watched um, Errand of Mercy and I watched uh, Heart of Glory from the first season of TNG and kind of in preparation for this because, you know, those are kind of the two. I think those are kind of the two key Klingon episodes in a way, uh, strangely enough, because Aaron of Mercy was their first appearance. I think that it kind of codified the Klingons in an interesting way. Um, you know, if you look at the Klingons in the original series, they they weren't really the same. They sort of had some of the same look and they sort of had some of the same attitude, but they certainly were not the sort of, you know, Japanese Bushido kind of well, onerous warrior types that they became later on. And that's is, where Heart yeah. of Glory really comes in. There is a lot more of a culture behind the Klingons, which is in, in general, you know, while, while TNG while TNG does not ha- come with this large, detailed world, it kind of accrues continuity as it goes. It's still much more realized than you know, T- in the original series Klingons. In a lot of ways, the Kling- most of the characters in the original series are a lot more archetypal. Kirk certainly is compared to Picard, for example. So the Klingons are just a kind of, oh, we're fierce warriors and we're the enemy of the Federation and that's... I think that that what you what what is really key to understand about the Klingons of the original series is that they really didn't have a characterization or a culture of their own. They really only were in opposition to the Federation. Yeah. And so we know what the Federation is. We know what Starfleet stands for in the original series to some degree. The Klingons basically stood for the opposite of that. See, one of the episodes that I watched was Day of the Dove from the original series. Now, that's the one where uh, there is this energy being hooray that's basically feeding off of their negative emotions yeah. they're on the there's the klingons and the uh federate uh, and the starfleet people on the sh- on the enterprise together and they're fighting with each other and everything this is where Chekhov is all you killed my brother um there's a lot of talk about um how Kl- klingons in war they'll torture people they'll wantonly kill and it's it's unclear from the episode whether that's just something that this rate you know this rage creature is making them say or whether they are really that or whether that's an exaggeration from the klingons themselves to make them seem fiercer yeah it's really but i don't think the series really goes enough into what klingons are to have an answer to that question by the time of the next generation of course we can certainly fit in how the klingons go to war for example yeah and i don't want to i I don't want to i don't want to sort of imply that the next generation created the the modern day klingon of course because you know a lot of that work a lot of that work had been done in the first and third star trek movies um you know the if you think back to the motion picture it started out with the klingon ship yeah you think back to star trek 3 of course that was all about uh uh, the klingons and and and, um kirk's son you know that kind of stuff i mean this kind of thing about the look of their ship the sort of redness of it the darkness of it their their sort of guttural language um the the writing that they use which is very angular and very harsh you know even that kind of the 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 targ pet that uh, i think what's his name clang has yeah you know so all of that kind of stuff had already been established yeah you can tell that that's extrapolating from the original series and now we actually have a budget so we can 
afford to figure out what the Klingon language is like and what their ships actually would look like. And then the next generation further extrapolating from that again, which is kind of the next generation's MO for how yeah. it built its world. Yeah. And I also don't want to, I mean, there's this, there's this sort of story that Gene Roddenberry said that this is how he always wanted the Klingons to look, which, you know, frankly, sounds very George Lucas. Frankly, is bullshit. I mean, you know, but I think the people that have listened to the podcast for, for a long time will, will know some of my thoughts on gene roddenberry but i mean every creator i would say has the vision of how their dream project would look and you know certainly every television creator you know has to deal with some compromises for budget for time whatever so yeah you know i i certainly believe that the klingons on screen in the original series weren't exactly what roddenberry would have wanted but neither was anything you know yeah and, and did he want them to have the big forehead ridges and all that kind yeah of stuff? Uh, maybe he not. certainly wanted more detailed makeup and it was very nice to have that but yeah. yeah so and then i think you know where where do you think the real heart of the klingons is though because this is a question that i I keep asking myself because like I said, I really, it's not that I don't like Klingon episodes. I think I can appreciate them, but they're not just some, they're not something that I respond to. Well, there's a few things that I was thinking of of in terms of this stuff that we've said on the podcasts. Uh, We, I I know we've joked and you, you said that, you know, the Klingons are basically Italians, you know, they're very, they like opera. They're very dramatic. And I guess what's, where I see the Klingons are as a foil to the Vulcans in many ways. I believe I have said this on the podcast, but the Vulcans are defined by logic. Now, one of the misconceptions is that, that the Vulcans have no emotions. But no, it's much more subtle subtler when watching it. The Vulcans actually very strongly channel their emotions. They feel their emotions, but they have that logic ab- above that, yeah. which is overriding. They are... You know, their id is extraordinarily reined in, and so they their art is very mathematical. They do have a very aesthetic, you know, appreciative civilization, but it's the beauty of logic. They have uh, a mystical side as well. Yes, which is that that is certainly yeah. I mean, both both cultures are very uh, are very mystical. That is true. I mean, the we'll talk certainly about all of the rituals that the. That that the Klingons have. Frankly, we only see a couple of Vulcan, the Ponfar, the Katra, and all of that. But the Kolonos ceremony, yeah. Um, but there is such a ton. There are so many more. Pretty much every other Worf episode of TNG is another ritual. Um, and so I see their re- emotions as very restrained. And what we learn is that the Vulcans had had this gigant had had were a very savage race. Were a very emotional race and they were nearly destroying themselves and then the disciplines of logic and all were how they were able to channel that and rise above that so i said the klingons is still living in that the klingons certainly have the ability to destroy themselves and go crazy and be this you know but i think the the klingons managed to control their id by channeling it in very specific ways there are frankly the fact that there are so many weird rituals is a way of channeling your id yeah. here's a you know klingon what what's the what's their popular form of music it's klingon opera the most fucking dramatic type of you know music that you can think of these very extraordinarily passionate anybody that we we see that one Klingon lawyer in that DS9 episode who views the law as a battlefield. We've seen Klingon scientists who have a fucking bone to pick and they're going to solve this problem. So 
Klingon society is based upon if that that's how they they've reign they've managed to control their passions in the opposite way of the Vulcans. And we all but to be fair, we see that Klingon society is a lot more dysfunctional. Yes. Yeah. That may just be partially because we see so much more of Klingon society and I think maybe I I mean maybe we we talked last month about interesting things for you know the new Star Trek series to go in. I mean, maybe it could be dealing with Vulcans and dealing with a, as they dealt with in the, the Next Generation, for example, where we saw the logical endpoints and problems of this kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that that my my thing about the Klingons yeah. is that number one, you know, Star Trek is something that has been built and created by so many different people over the course of fifty years, and. Of course, there are going to be contradictions inherent in that. Of course, there are going to be um, dead ends and and just weird kind of things. And so one of the yeah. things that I look at when I look at Klingons is, you know, maybe I just don't like TNG Klingons, you know, because I look at something like Star Trek VI, for example, and I really like Star Trek yeah. VI. But you look at those Klingons and you say, okay, these are not the TNG Klingons. These, this is not Gowron. You know, this is not war. Yeah. Um, they certainly do have a code of honor. They certainly are warriors, but they're also very, very um, well-spoken. They're very intelligent. Um, you know, they're, they're very charismatic even. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons why I think that I don't respond to the Klingons as much as some other people do is that, especially with Ron Moore kind of taking point and, and sort of Renee Acavaria as well, who created some of the more dramatic sort of, you know, the, what, one of the episodes that, that, that he wrote was um, the one where they go to that sort of like Klingon festival and they're singing and, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, and that, they have that sort of like singing battle, um, which I Alexander. Actually, yeah. Which I actually like. And yeah. I, I think that what, what is, what is problematic for me is the, 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 the I think the Klingons, People respond to a very specific version of the Klingons that I don't really like, and I think that it really wiped out a lot of the other stuff that I liked about Klingons. Okay, see, I I, I think I know exactly what you mean, because I love the portrayal of Klingons in DS9, and I really love Worf in DS9. They figure out how to make Worf really fucking hilarious in DS9, because they realize that he works really well as a straight man. I mean, what TNG thought to make Worf funny was put him in a Robin Hood outfit and say, I am not a merry man. DS, uh. DS9 has that one scene where Bashir's sitting in Worf's, uh, you know, seat and like, you, you better move Worf's seat. And Worf just goes there and he just gives this very subtle look. Bashir moves and he gives a very half smile. And it's it's hilarious. That's how they managed to, I mean, I, I think that's, they understand they understand who Worf is a lot better than I think some of DS TNG does, and they use them much more interestingly. Well, and I think, you know, the other thing, too, that we can't forget, of course, is that a lot of the Klingon episodes of TNG, or I think most of them, are are, are channeled through the viewpoint of yeah. Worf. You know, and I think that... He is a... I mean, that's part of the reason there are so many, but he is a very easy viewpoint focal character to get into that world certainly and we, yeah and we've talked a lot about Worf as a born again Klingon as someone who is yeah. really a convert to the Klingon way he is someone who views it as the the right way because he is he has to right because he doesn't know the the inherent contradictions in the society I mean he starts to see that sort of thing yeah. in an episode like Sins of the Father where he finds out that the Klingon High Council is a lot more dysfunctional and a lot yeah. more sort of corrupt than he thought it was but yeah I think that 
One of the things that I like about Deep Space Nine Klingons is that they give uh, you haven't really seen this yet, but yeah, I, la- you know, later on they do give us specifically an, a recurring Klingon character that is another way for us to look huh. at Klingon culture, and he is in Klingon society. You know, he okay. is a Klingon of Kling of of Kronos. You know, he is part of the defense force. He's like a Klingon Goldacott in some ways. Yeah, kind of. And so I think that that's kind of part of my problem with it is that, you know, before Worf came on the scene, the Klingons were were sort of many faceted because we got to see different versions yeah. of them. You know, we got a different version of them in Star Trek 3. We got a different version of them in Star Trek 6. You know, even, even something we- like a Heart, Heart of Glory, for example, where that was really yeah. the first time that, you know, that was directly after Star Trek 3. Star Trek 3 had come out in, ni- well, not directly after, but but a few years after because Star Trek 4 really had nothing to do with Klingons. Um, you know, Star Trek 3 came out in 84 and Star Trek uh, 4 came out in 86. And then, of course, the episode Heart of Glory was aired in in 1988. So you kind of had a a four-year period there where there weren't really any Klingons. And this was the first time that we had seen a Klingon that wasn't Worf in a long time. Yeah. And I think I wanted to watch that episode because it was the first time that TNG had really dealt with Klingons. And how they decided to deal with them was to sort of not neuter them, but, but... they're very strange. Like, and I think that the TN, the first, I mean, it's not a good episode of the show. And if you look at it and you say, okay, this is where the Klingons were. They were in this alliance. There's these Klingons that don't like the alliance. A lot of these yeah. ideas were dropped, by the way. I mean, they didn't really talk about sort of renegade well, Klingons that weren't really into the alliance as much as they, uh, you know, as much as they perhaps were going to after that. Yeah. I mean, if I remember, you know, that episode kind of ends with. The Klingon commander talking to Picard and, you know, but he's basically saying like, you know, times need to change like this, you know, and that was one of the major themes of Star Trek six. But in general, there is this feeling that these the renegades are the old Klingons. In yeah, a way. they are the warlike Klingons. And frankly, that what war was a way the Klingons could channel their id. And it became – and it was a very effective way in the in the time of the original series. But at this point – you know the events of Star. You know the events of Star Trek Six made it so that that kind of a lifestyle was completely unsustainable. And now they have to they have to find other ways of channeling the it. I mean, it's it's part. You know, if they dropped it, it's because I can assume that behind the scenes they did figure out how to start moving on from that, and they're dealing with. But frankly, the way that that expresses itself is in this massive corruption. Yeah, you know, frankly, or the schemes of the Duras sisters, for example. I mean, that that's how you know, Klingons can't be warlike and fierce anymore. They have to be a bit more subtle about it now. And there are some people who are having trouble adapting to it. But and I guess that's that. I guess you know, really, what that boils yeah. down to for me is is my I guess my primary issue with the Klingons is that. I, I just find them a race of of bullshitters, and I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't respond to that. They, they guess... seem like they're posturing all the time. They seem like they're lying. I, I don't really see. Here's the thing: like maybe they're not. I we we, we aren't necessarily supposed to like the Klingons. I don't – I mean – but that's the thing like because the show wants us to like them. If they, if they portrayed them maybe more neutrally or certainly you know, the likes of DS9 make it very clear that one Klingon is not the entire Klingon species. You know, one Cardassian is not the you know, we, we dealing with individuals. And there are individuals we can like. We can certainly like Worf. We can have 
you know, we can appreciate Gowron, you know, we can do that, but generally think of the Klingons as a particularly odious species that's not that all, you know, I think, I think there is a bit of, res, uh, of residual feelings, less and less so among certain cast members or people in the, I don't know. Citizens? Citizens, peoples. Of the Federation? Of the Federation, Federationites. Federationers. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just... I, 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 I get, no, I, but, I, but I'm with you. Yeah, the... We don't necessarily. There's no reason shown on the sh- in the show why we should like the Klingons, but the series keeps insisting we should. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that that you know if you look at the way that the Klingons were developed, especially in TNG, really the only times that we ever saw the Klingons are sort of those episodes where they were dealing with the High Council, dealing yeah. with Galron, Civil War stuff. Um, you know, Worf getting discommodated. You know, the Duras sisters, which frankly, I mean, come on, they're just cartoon villains. And, you know, and just, I don't know, I feel like they're not, uh, they don't earn their screen time, I think is what I, what I'm trying to get at. Like, I don't think that they're inherently interesting enough to really, to, to really sort of earn the, the amount of brain space that they take up in the franchise, you know, especially since, you know, aggravatingly enough, there are so many alien species that have been. Uh, in Star Trek for so much longer, or, or not that much longer, but uh, you know, since the original series, Andorians, I mean, Andorians, Tellarites. I mean, where are they? I mean, they're founding members of the Federation. We don't know anything about them. They're blue I, I don't think that we saw a single Andorian in, in TNG. Maybe we did. I don't remember. But you know, we just we don't see them. And of course, part of the reason why we don't see them is that their makeup is more complicated. But you know, I mean. DS9 is also dealing with Cardassians. I mean, that's pretty yeah, complicated yeah. makeup. So at a certain point, that's not really an excuse anymore. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just... Looking at the Klingons as a whole, I think that I'm much more interested in the pre-TNG version of Klingons than I am in the post-TNG version of Klingons. But I, I, I'm interested in the DS9 version of Klingons. I like the way that they're portrayed because I think the DS9 version of Klingons doesn't unabashedly think they're the coolest. Um, no, pretty much, and I think that you see that even before Worf comes on the show. I would say the way that, frankly, Dax is one of the before Worf. Dax is kind of our big yeah uh, uh, b- window into the Klingons, and a lot of this is coming from Curzon. This uh, these are part of Jadzia running with some things that Curzon ha- has taught. The love of gambling, the love of drinking, is stuff that she's she enjoys, and she always hangs out with. She hangs out with Ferengi. She hangs out with Klingons. There is a part of her that really enjoys just hanging out with sleazy dudes, drinking, gambling, swearing, talking about shit, you know, and that's what Klingons are good for. That's when you want to have a good, wild, horrible time, you're going to go with Klingons. And I think, you know, when you want to go to a restaurant where you're going to eat weird food and this flamboyant guy is singing opera to you. You're gonna go with the Klingons when you want to. When you want to see something fun and actiony, and you know that's not really too classy, but is gonna be cool, you go with the Klingons. I think that's an understanding of Klingons that is more in line with what their actual stature is at this point in the series. And frankly, the arc that we are getting into at this point with uh, the Klingons beginning to more actively provoke the Federation into war uh, is kind of. I don't know that that. Well, I think, okay. So I think that that crystallizes something for me, which is that, you know, we've talked a little bit on, on track about, about how DS nine is 
much better at world building. Yes. And, and one of the reasons why, of course, is that it is a static place. They they do have to stay there. I mean, that they do have a location yeah. that, that, that TNG did not. And so TNG, you know, alien races would drop in and drop out. And it was okay for them to be sort of one-sided or, or sort of, uh, you know, a uniculture because we didn't see them that often. Yeah. And, and even T- and DS9 does have these planets that they'll go to for one episode. and Yeah, but they also have the Bajoran. Yeah. They also have the Cardassians. They also have the Klingons now. And I think that they are doing a much better job than TNG ever did of making these alien species not just these sort of unicultures that that never change and everyone yeah. is the same. You know, and I think that um and I'm not necessarily criticizing TNG for that. I think that no, it's that much, was not what TNG was trying to do. Yeah, it's one of the explicit themes of DS9 that these are not unicultures. That was kind of Kira's whole journey in her first few seasons of realizing that there can be good Cardassians. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the other thing that maybe we should talk about is the the look of the Klingons, because there is, you know, I don't know if I wanted to get into this necessarily, but I think that it's interesting to bring up. I mean, you don't know this, but, you know, so so the Klingons in the original series obviously don't look like Klingons from the rest of the franchise. Um, and, you know, I don't think you ever really wondered about that, because frankly, it's just a makeup change and who cares? Yeah. Uh, they actually do explain that at some point. Yeah, it's, and, and I'm not, I, I wanted to bring it up because it's not really that important. It's not really that much of a spoiler. It's not okay. like, you know, they decide, I don't they know. They were but, changed by the Dominion or something. No, nothing like that. So that is the other problem with the two, I think, where I'm kind of feeding in on like later knowledge of Klingons that yeah. you don't have. See, I, I, I did never really notice because, again, I just assumed that that – I mean that is kind of one of those weird suspension of disbelief things you will do when uh, for, for you know, when you have an actor change, for example. You know, sometimes a show will make it – you know, do the Doctor Who route where it is a, a literal you know, reincarnation of that character. Yeah. But for the most part, you're just thinking, OK, well, this whole time that's how they really looked. It's just, you know – or if a set changes, well, that's how it really looked. This is more – so yeah, I can assume that the TNG makeup was a bit more how it re- – how the Klingons really looked than the original series. But this is with the bigger – you know, bigger right. budget. Um, well, also very, very similarly to how they subtly changed the Romulan makeup in in TNG, where they added those brow ridges, yeah, that that weren't there in the original series. Yeah, it, it's not uncommon for or the you know the movie version of it. You're going to have a bigger budget, so you do a different set. I mean, we've seen different sets on in the Star Trek movies. We just assume that's how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think too. You know, it's it's funny because we don't really know a lot about sort of pre pre-space Klingons or whatever you want to call it. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of contradictions inherent in in Klingon society that are never really examined. I think that, you know, what we have is the way that the Klingons were developed, you know, in the original series and later on in TNG were um, they're kind of a, not a dictatorship, but I guess sort of a, a sort of some sort of feudal society. Mm. It's very based on family. It's very based on, you know, we should talk about the, the importance of family and Klingons as well. Uh, yeah. The but quote I think, unquote importance of family. Right. But. But I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of based on feudal holdings. It's based on families holding land. And that gives them power to be on the high council. So what is the average life like for an average Klingon? We have no idea. 
um, which I don't necessarily know is a problem, but I think it does kind of go a little bit towards Star Trek's weird obsession with authority in a mm, way. Yeah. You know, Star Trek is not a franchise about the little man, um, which, you know, is not necessarily a problem, but we well, do have to keep I mean, that it, in mind. It is and it isn't. It's a very oligarchical show, I will say. Um, it does believe that, you know, the 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 best thing for the little man is for the people to be who are ruling it to be the smartest and the best and the most moral and the people that we see in Starfleet are usually the best and the most moral and have more of a right to you know are are the most right people to rule over the little man. Well, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I think that that's kind of far afield from this. But I think mm-hmm. that you know um, that. With the Klingons, you have kind of a very different setup for a society than uh, than the Federation. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why they were set up that way. You know, we don't know a lot about how someone becomes chancellor, but it's assumed, of course, that they are voted on by the High Council. I don't think that the High Council is voted on by Klingons. I mean, I don't think they have a conception of democracy. I, I and, assumed it was. I mean, haven't we seen people chat? Isn't that one of those just, I'll kill you, and if I kill you, I'll, I am the chancellor? I mean, that not that one of the ways of Assumedly, promotion? yeah. But I think that uh, what I'm getting at is the High Council itself is not voted on by the average Klingon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, I don't know what that means necessarily. I think that that may be another reason why I don't really respond to Klingons very much is that they are very um, f- feudalistic and they are very... Uh, it's a mafia ina- very, story in some ways. Well, it, 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 I mean... I think it has a lot more to do with feudalism than the mafia, but... I'm thinking in terms of ruling families. I mean, yeah, and I guess, yeah, feudalism. I mean, that is... Kind of the whole Game of Thrones thing, certainly. But either way, yeah, it is is a – there is as much – again, we, we joke they're Italians, but there is something very Renaissance Italy about this. You know, you have all of these Medicis and uh, Borgias who are Well, and of course, that is one of the advantages of science fiction in general yeah. is that they can borrow from all sorts of different, you know, human, yeah. human strains of thought and what all that kind of stuff is. See, I think I like the original series Klingons because because of their archetypal use. I mean, they can be about something. This is about you know, Day of the Dove is about how really America and Russia at the end of the day can become friends and work together against the greater evils, whatever they are, whether that's just general poverty or you know those yeah. kind of a things. Um, you know, they represent an enemy. They represent an antithesis to the ideals. In the next generation, they do just kind of. A lot of the times, be about themselves. Where, where, you know, we've talked a little about. Yeah. The, we've talked a bit about the mirror universe in DS Nine and how it's interesting to see. You know, it's cool seeing this special effect of Kira being the intendant. You know, stuff like that. It's cool playing the game of oh, what's you know Cisco like in this world, but. Do we actually care about following the politics of the mirror universe and where that's going? Well, no. So, yeah, maybe it is very interesting to see Worf in a very different element than he's used to, to see the world that he can't, you know, he thinks he belongs in. You know, the I, I am interested in the conflict within Worf of am I Klingon, am I Federation? I am interested in how that spins out particularly where DS9 spins that out. Yeah. I'm not interested in who's going to be the chancellor. Well, yeah, and I think that, that um, w- one of the things that what I think is, is most aggravating to me about Klingons is that, and I'm, I'm talking down about the Klingons a lot. Huh. I mean, it's not that I hate them or anything, but I just I don't find them that interesting. I think that um, one of the reasons why is that they keep talking about honor, 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 honor. And, you know, they do use that as a cover for a lot of nefarious yeah. activities 
you know, in a similar way to how America will talk about freedom and democracy and yeah. use that as an excuse to do a lot of terrible things. That is not something that I have observed myself, of course. I mean, that is something that a lot of people have written about Star Trek and Klingons. And it is something that is a tension. I don't know if they do enough with that. Yeah. I think that maybe, and you know, and again, maybe DS9 will do something with this, maybe not, where they do kind of look at the Klingons and take them very seriously at their word and say, okay, what is the logical extrapolation of this? And I mean, I, I am very interested in that theme. I've seen uh, it, not even just in America. I mean, it's some, it's something that you see in people in general. A lot of people who, you know, that's one of the things you see an activist who is preaching a certain, you know, morality thing, and we find immoral things in their behavior. We do that with politicians. We do that with anybody who is an authority. We want to, you know, and we see so many examples in religions. We see examples of people who are, pray, you know, pre- preaching morality and God and doing evil things in those names. Yeah, does they... But the next generation certainly doesn't invite us to question it quite as much as we should. Yeah. It doesn't mistrust the concept of honor. It just thinks that this particular Klingon is living without honor. Well, and I think that, that you know... And they haven't... You know, they, they, they aren't making the connection that they're saying that about just about every Klingon they meet. Well, yeah, and I think that, that that at the end of the day, and and maybe this is a good good place to to start to wrap this conversation up. But I think that you know, at the end of the day, what really is is clear in my mind about Klingons and the way the Klingon society is developed in Star Trek is that going back to this idea of 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 honor and also the High Council and sort of the the importance, quote unquote, of the Klingon family, mm. and what that really shows to me is that. The importance of the Klingon family is not something that is inherent in the, I guess, the the spirit or the love of the Klingon people. It's not that they're really they feel that the family is very important in the same way that we feel family is yeah. very important. They feel family is important because family gives them power. Yeah, Fam- you know, holding onto land gives them power. Holding on to their family, their family line, their family lineage, no matter what they do, is very important. And I think that that's yeah. how you can see the evolution of the, the High Council as seen in episodes like Sins of the Father or in uh, uh, Redemption Parts 1 and 2. That there is a sickness inherent in the Klingon society that is very, very deep. And the reason why it's there is because of this sort of feudal society that privileges the the power inherent in land and family over anything else. And of yeah. course, when your family gives you power, you will protect them at any cost, even though they're doing things that are terrible. Yeah, it's they aren't protecting their family. They don't want to have family. They don't preach the importance of family because they love the family members, but because they're resources. And mm-hmm. frankly, you know, we we've we joked a shitload about how Worf doesn't really care about Alexander, but Alexander gives no Worf no power. power. Well, yeah, Worf. I mean it. It's very interesting because Worf was raised by a human human parents who dote the fuck out of him yeah. and love him and you know his mother you know we 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 are never under any impression that she did not give him anything but the most loving you know affectionate upbringing and still he doesn't really have those feelings towards his son he forgets about his kid at the time and eventually you know his mother says at one point you know we're too old to take care of this kid you need to and that's why Worf's on the enterprise but you know when he when he goes on when he goes on ds9 he says oh they're with my parents which is a few years later they're older 
Yeah, which is a weird sort of biological determinism that I think we ha- mm. is sort of inherent in Star Trek as well, which we haven't really ever grappled with. Is that you know, Worf was raised by by human parents, and he does have some human tendencies, but he's also very Klingon. And so, what does that mean? You yeah. know, like I don't know. Is there some sort of I don't know? Is, is Star Trek arguing for racial memory? I mean, it's it's strange. I don't know. All I know is that any t- you know there are a lot of times Worf tries to connect to people and maybe even successfully does, but you know for one reason. And part of it is because these are TNG episodes and they're one shot guest stars. But I mean, he performs the tea ceremony with Doctor Pulaski, but they don't really you know keep up any correspondence. He c- performs that brotherhood. Well, that's because rich- Doctor Pulaski was pushed in a turbo shaft. Mm. Oh, that's sad. But he doesn't <laughs> grieve. Um. And I'll explain that joke to you after we're done. There was that – the episode with the kid whose mother gets killed on Worf's team. Yeah, and yeah. at the end, he he does the ceremony that makes them brothers and we never fucking hear from him again. Yeah. Um, he he had you know, – again, his kid, anytime Worf – you know, Worf does not connect with people for very long and that is part of who he is. I mean at this point in DS9, he's very happily living by himself on the Defiant. But um, I don't know. But – yeah, I think there there is a hypocrisy in Klingon society. That hypocrisy could be very interesting to go into, but it doesn't. Well, we'll just have to see where DS9 takes it. Okay. Well, that's it for this patron special. We hope you enjoyed our look at the Klingons. Uh, next month for the patron special, we're going to do something a little different again. Um, we promise at some point we'll do the same thing again, I guess, but yeah, not, I don't we're know. just kind of doing whatever the hell we feel like doing. Yeah. And again, if you have any ideas for, for things that you want to hear us discuss, you know, you can always uh, send us an email at truck about show at gmail.com. Um, but, uh, yeah, next month we're going to be looking at a Star Trek novel. Actually, <gasps> oh. uh, it's going to be a federation by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Wow. A word burger. A what? Oh, you know, like the sports ball and word burgers. You don't know uh, the internet at all. No, I don't. Uh, which is about, and I'm going to read the back of the book because I have it in my hand right now as we are recording this podcast. Yeah. At last, the long-awaited novel featuring both famous crews of the Starships Enterprise in an epic adventure that spans time and space. Oh, so it's Generations. Captain Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701 are faced with their most challenging mission yet rescuing renowned scientist Zephram Cochran from captors who want to use his skills to conquer the galaxy. What? Meanwhile, 99 years in the future on the USS Enterprise, NCC-1701-D, Picard must rescue an important and mysterious person whose safety is vital to the survival of the Federation. Is it Zephram Cochran? Uh, Maybe. As the two crews struggle, maybe not, to fulfill their missions, destiny draws them closer together until past and future merge, and the fate of each of the two legendary starships rests in the hands of the other vessel. So uh, the reason we're doing this is uh, we are going to be releasing our Star Trek First Contact podcast in about a month. So, And Star Trek First Contact deals a lot with, as everyone who's listening to this probably knows, uh, Zephram Cochran. So I thought that this was going to be a good opportunity to see a alternate version of the Zephram Cochran story. This novel actually came out before First Contact, so significantly before I assume. I think so. I can tell you exactly when it came out. Actually, no, nineteen ninety four. Star Trek First Contact came out in nineteen ninety six. Oh, so hmm. yeah. Thank you very much again for being our patron. We really do appreciate your support each and every month. As the Klingons would say, ach, ach, for your donation. Kapla. And we will see you 
next month for another patron special. And please continue to listen to Trek About and Trek About Presents. Thank you very much. Goodbye.